So when I see people doing those things that are authentic to themselves, that gets me excited. I'm just like, oh yeah, I want to connect to them. Just as I'm here speaking with you today about my authentic, you know, retelling of, of my experiences in tech, I think there's something that people see when they know someone is being vulnerable. And we appreciate that because it is it takes so much strength. Welcome to Design to Be Conversation, presented by Design to Be and hosted by Design to Be founder and CEO, me, Rachel Weissman. We're excited to be back after a few months break. We have many inspiring guests in store for you this time around. We'll be diving into their insightful stories and sharing their actionable advice so you can invest in your emotional intelligence to become more impactful in your career. If you're new to Design to Be, welcome. If you are a longtime listener, welcome back. Design to Be is a community for designers to grow their emotional intelligence. In this show, I have conversations with design leaders about how investing in their EQ has impacted their design career. In today's episode, I speak with Terrence Williams. Terrence is a designer, illustrator, and storyteller located in San Francisco, California. By producing work that encourages and celebrates an individual's authenticity, he proudly advocates for a more inclusive approach to design. He also strives to connect with audiences through courageous conversation. This has been a critical part of his growth as a voice in the industry, where he elevates designers of color and their intersectional narratives. Terrence hopes to inform, inspire, and empower others to take action and create more inclusive design cultures through the power of compassionate storytelling. We dive into navigating spaces where you are, quote unquote, the only one, finding authenticity, honoring the story of the community you're serving, and the four mindsets of relationship design, compassion, intention, courage, and reciprocity. Welcome, Terrence, to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Terrence, you you currently work at Salesforce. I used to work at Salesforce. And yes. when I was talking with an old coworker and who is also a guest on the show, Greg Bennett, and I was like, Greg, I want to talk to more people at Salesforce. And is there anyone in even in your network that you recommend? Mm-hmm. He's like, you need to talk to Terrence. So I did <laughs> a little light stalking. And I was like, oh, and I've actually actually read some of your work and was familiar with you even before just through oh. light design stalking that I do um, of just being familiar <laughs> with folks in the, in, in the industry and came across your article that, that you ended up sharing that just spoke to me so, so deeply. That's really what we're going to dive into today. I'm curious just to help set the stage for folks. What's this article that we're referring to? What sparked you to write it? What's it about? We'll dive into the specifics from there. Of course. So the article you're referencing, Designing My Blackness, and that was an article that came about because of the experiences I was having at the time in tech, in the tech space, how I felt I was being perceived as a 
designer of color in particular, as a Black designer, I am Black and queer, and grew up in a part of the United States in Kentucky that was uh, rural and, and very provincial in many ways in its thinking. And so coming from that background and, and coming from that community, I'd already experienced or had been just privy to navigating certain spaces that I just didn't always feel a part of. And that definitely, I, that, that experience was mirrored in tech. And so I wanted to talk about that because I felt like I'd heard other designers talk about their experiences, not necessarily feeling as if they measured up to what a company was looking for. And I think it goes a little bit beyond imposter syndrome. I think it becomes, you know, when we hear those, these terms in my mind are sort of coded culture fit or, oh yeah, are, are they really going to add value to our, to our team? And sometimes those things can be interpreted in a way a little harmful or a little confusing. And I personally had had a few instances of that just throughout my journey, becoming a designer, finding, finding my path, finding community, and of course, entering tech as a designer. And we can definitely dive deeper, but that's the basis. That's the foundation. That sort of was the catalyst for me wanting to talk about it because I know others had experienced it, but a lot of people were kind of afraid to share their experience and, you know, fear of being labeled or, or, or viewed as, oh, you're, you're talking too much or you're oversharing or, or, oh, you're just, you're bad mouthing these organizations or this space. And that's just not the case. It was just, that was the experience I was having. And first, th- thank you for sharing. So much of what you're also alluding to is in the umbrella of authenticity. And so I'm curious how your relationship with authenticity or navigating those hurdles, mm-hmm. how that began for you. Yeah. So going back to my upbringing, I, I was always sort of felt like othered. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, being one of the few Black students in a classroom as early as, you know, really elementary, but, but especially high school, especially college, undergrad, feeling that otherness. When I was going through my graphic design program, I was the only Black student in my cohort and one of the few people of color. And at the time, I, I, I tried to just focus on the work and, and not think of that and not really think of that in terms of, I didn't have the language, I didn't have the tools or the understanding to know what I was feeling, but I just knew I didn't feel the sense of connection that my peers seemed to have found. Even when it came to being able to review work or, or pitch ideas to one another, I definitely found people I could do that with, but there was this, this difference. And there's actually a little story I'll share that happened in the undergrad. I was in class and my professor, whom I still in touch with today, wonderful, the University of Louisville, Hyde Art Institute in Kentucky. She was just taking attendance and she called my name, but she hadn't seen me come in yet. I'd come into the lab and just sit down and started working. She's like, oh, I'm sorry. I, she called my name. I was like, I, I didn't see you. I'm so sorry. One of my peers says, how did you not see him? He's like the only black guy in the class. And that I, I like to share that. So I, at first it used to make me feel very strange, but then I realized, well, no, it, it is actually a great example of what my experience was. 
not being seen, but also being seen in that same moment. And when I say not being seen, it wasn't intentional malicious by any means, Mm -hmm. but the fact that someone labeled that situation as, oh, clearly you you saw this person, they're the only one for someone not of color to recognize that. So it, it kind of confirmed a lot of those thoughts I was having of like, gosh, I am the only one in this class. And then for someone to verbalize it in such a brash way, that was like, okay, <laughs> this is what you're dealing with. But it didn't deter me. It actually motivated me to find the community I needed. And that was beyond my classroom. Mentorship beyond my classroom and, and just other, other designers, other Black designers to understand that I could show up authentically as myself. So I needed to see someone else doing that. I hadn't seen anyone like me doing that. And so when you speak about authenticity, that was my first sort of like real lesson of like, okay, I definitely have had other experiences in my life before that. But in terms of design and this profession, that's when I was like, okay, so I'm focusing on the work, but it's, it's not unrealistic for me to acknowledge this situation. For many years, I felt like, well, maybe I'm focusing too much on it but that really wasn't the case. So I think this translates to now current day, working in tech, working in these spaces where a lot of people still feel like the only, and and that's really where the article, I think resonated with a lot of folks, fortunately or unfortunately, however you want to view that. I'm glad that it gave people, they knew that they weren't alone, but it does make me sad that others experience some of the things I talk about in that piece. First, thank you for sharing. Mm-hmm. Just hearing you, I was just feeling such bodily sensations of like <laughs> nausea as you were experiencing this. It just because it that statement that that you that you shared, where there is no there is no malicious nature behind it, yet it holds such gravity. It did such a, I don't want to say it did a good job, but for lack of better words, it did a good job just of setting up the difficult and challenging aspects of navigating your situation of expressing yourself and also a beautiful story of then what you needed to do to connect with others in a way that was authentic, that wasn't created and uh, by these different blockades of of identity. Yeah, I think I totally agree. And I think looking beyond the structures, for me, it was about breaking my own thinking of, oh, I need to connect only with the peers in my program, people that get it. I, I had this very narrow view of what it meant to have design community specifically. And that, as you said, it, there was, in, in my opinion, there was no malicious intent, but it does you're right. It does hold a weight. It does sort of like this brunt, like, oh, I, I, okay, I, I guess so. <laughs> I guess mm-hmm. that is, I guess that is true. Even though I knew it, having it verbalized really pushed me to think, well, why does that have to be true? Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be. And then, you know, then it just progresses as to like the opportunity of actually, it doesn't have to be true. It doesn't have to be this way. Why aren't there more diverse design cohorts in the case of the undergrad program? Why aren't there more diverse design teams? And, and now I think everyone's very conscious of this and this language and everything. And I hope it continues to trend in that direction. But it does, it does give you pause 
but that, and we'll talk about that, of course, of it, it inspired me to know that you can't always wait on those authentic moments to come to you. And even though it may feel unnatural, you kind of have to go out there and find people that are operating on the same frequency as you to, to relate to, to learn from, to teach. Yeah. And, and get that growth and get that fulfillment as a creative. Whether it be more early on in your career or how it's informed mm-hmm. where you are now, I'm curious how those moments, whether it be the moment that we spoke about or possibly other moments that have happened, how that informed your career as a designer, whether it be what you're working on or the kinds of organizations that you want to work for or the kind of people you want to be collaborating with or the kinds of mentorship that you're looking for. Yes. So I talk about this in the article as well. When I was younger, see, I, I had already been sort of seeing this stuff in the world. And what I mean by that is I didn't know I wanted to be a designer. I knew I wanted to do something creative. I actually thought I was going to grow up and be an animator for Disney. That was that's what I thought as a kid. But I would watch a lot of TV, like 90s kid, watching lots of after school <laughs> cartoons and things. But I would pay really close attention to ads and magazine ads. And I liked commercials, which sounds strange. I, I used to like watching like what they're trying to sell, how they're doing it. Like I understood what was happening. I just didn't have, I didn't like know, oh, it's advertising. And some agency probably put this together. Like, obviously I didn't know that, but I knew they were targeting certain audiences. I could tell the difference between a commercial on MTV versus BET. It was very different tone. It was a very different visual. And in the article, I talk about growing up in the nineties, watching black sitcoms. So, you know, Family Matters, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Living Single, like Martin. I I used to watch all these shows, whether it was all of them were age appropriate for me at the time or not. I don't know, but I watched them anyway. And that was me seeing Blackness represented in media in the 90s, like on TV and sitcoms were such a big part of life then, especially that that particular type of setup of the group of friends or a family or whatever. And so just seeing that, with black casts, predominantly black casts. And there's something else I saw that Issa Rae said in a, in a talk of how that really inspired a lot of her work in terms of when she went on to obviously create Awkward Black Girl and Insecure and all those things. But she was actually feeling super nostalgic about the 90s and the black representation and the amount that was there. I actually feel like we've lost some of that variety today. But Seeing that stuff informed me of like, oh, the way the intros were, the way they were dressed. It was a lot of bold color. It was a lot of texture, a lot of pattern. And I just connected to that. And it, it made me think of just the Black American experience and how those different brands of clothing and the different representations of style that were being manifested on the show. That informed a lot of my work because even to this day, I love bold color. I love texture and I actually feel like a part of I'm rediscovering a part of myself in terms of designing with those things now, because when I entered tech, I actually did a lot of pulling back on that type of design because I kept getting comments. I share one of those in the article because it was during an interview at a tech company. We all know, and I won't say, but I was just so shocked. I was just so shocked at 
this company that's as huge as it is, it's known, it's respected, that I had had that happen in other conversations and, and work-related things of like, oh, it's just too bold, it's just too much. And I, and I want to say, yes, some designs can just be too much. Like you do need to have simplicity and balance and, you know, all those things. And that's very hard to achieve. But I, I do think there's um, when something is like an objective critique and really versus a subjective, like, oh, this is just what we value in terms of our design approach. And it was very eye-opening to see that. And then especially I found it funny because that same company later, I saw some of their ads and they were crazy bold and it bolder than actually anything I had <laughs> in my interview. So I'm like, there's a disconnect somewhere in that organization, but I was always self-conscious about my approach. And, and a lot of the times I felt it was coded language of, oh, this is just really black. Like this is just so loud. And, and if you think about those terms and those words and how they're used to apply to a design if you just substitute an identity or a, per, or some t- a personality type it sounds very like oh maybe there's a different way to say this that isn't as loaded so for me having that experience and starting to question my work even though it had been inspired by so much beautiful ads and art and and, and television from the 90s I, I questioned that a lot so that was also a part of my authenticity finding my authenticity, I should say, being able to represent my work and do the work I want and feel proud of it and and not feel like I was second guessing what I was putting out there. It's a challenging line to to walk where mm-hmm. like I I went to school for graphic design and learned like all the nerdy stuff about typography and um, yes. like have a love affair with type. There is these very clear and tight guidelines that I feel like many, many, many of us are taught in school. Where my mind was going while you were sharing that story was, this makes me think of when, if if anyone has ever opened LinkedIn and they see someone post of which UI is better. And then mm-hmm. with, with like no context, like just really yeah. don't, don't, don't engage with those because it's literally the problem that Terrence in a way is, is explaining where in any interview, it's more understanding the thinking behind it and how the designer thinks and who are you designing for and what's the yes. intentionality around using those bold colors, using that typeface, using those textures. Because if everything's mm-hmm. done with intention for the user and if it's a right fit for the user, mm-hmm. beautiful, amazing, That's a, then it's a perfect design. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I will say... Designing with that audience, designing with that culture in mind, and with, like you said, with their needs, with their desires. And I think that's a perfect example. And those ads were doing that back then. I didn't have the language for it, but there's, it's, so, it's so complex. There's many layers to this, and I, I'm oversimplifying right now. But an ad that is being presented to an African-American audience versus a, we'll say, a mainstream America or predominantly white audience there are nuances, there are things that opportunities that could be shifted. I think it's actually gotten more, I don't know, I, I feel like things are a bit more blended now, but there's still, there's still that when I think of something I did for Afrotech, I just recently did a design for Afrotech for Salesforce. I knew that there was a very specific tone and, and 
vibrancy and language and the way they, they, they use texture and pattern in their branding. I knew that some of that needed to show up in, in our way. Obviously, it's Salesforce branded event, but it still needed to nod to that. And sometimes I think that's missing when people, but it, it is, it's literally doing what a UX researcher or UX designer would do. You look at the audience, you try to understand their needs. If you have the opportunity, which I hope we all do, speak with someone from that community. For, for myself, I have attended Afrotech. I knew people that attended. I'm going to speak at Afrotech. So I, I kind of had this sense of, I know, I know the community enough to be able to give some high-level direction of creatively. So those nuances are important. And I think it just speaks to the work as a designer that you put in to understanding, you know, it's no different than when we're doing something and we want it to be accessible. We consider all these things and we try to design with that audience and make them a part of that process. It, it should be no different with culturally or, you know, telling stories from certain communities. I, I think it just makes sense. But I, I feel like we're still in a space where sometimes people do that work and, I, and there's so many layers as to why. Do they have the the people to do it? Do they have the budget? Do they have the time? Mm-hmm. Those aren't excuses, but those are just the realities I've learned being in business, being in corporate. We all know this. Yeah, we might have this wonderful, grandiose idea, but if we don't have the time, the budget, we can't do it. I want to get beyond those barriers. I think that's absolutely possible. I think we get beyond them when we want. So I'm, I'm hoping that can be normalized a bit too, so that we can have these more authentic and coherent designs that do speak to these very specific audiences. Everything doesn't need to feel so, I don't want to say mundane, but sometimes I think we try to just, and I've, I've seen instances where you just design something and hope it just, oh yeah, for everybody. And I, I, don't, I don't know if that is a, always the right approach. I think sometimes you have to think, okay, this is for a very specific audience and a very specific need. And we want it to be approachable. Or accessible to everyone, but I don't think we sacrifice the story or the nuance of a particular community. In that case, Afrotech, mm-hmm. just to make it appealing to as many people as possible. And a, a lot of what you're alluding to and what we've been talking about falls into two high-level buckets. One, authenticity, <laughs> which we've really started to dive into. And the other is inclusivity. Um, And I'm curious how you see these overlap and in what what way? For me, you know, I'm I'm at Salesforce and my team, I'm on Salesforce design team. And so we've been talking a lot about this philosophy we're putting out called relationship design. For me, the overlap, the foundational core of it all is relationships and community. And so when I think of feeling included or belonging, as well as having the opportunity to show up and express yourself. I think you need to first feel like you belong, first feel like you're in a safe environment, psychologically safe, able to freely express yourself creatively through your design and not feel questioned or or not feel singled out. Like you, you want that feedback. You want the critique when it's coming from a place of uplifting and empowering and improving. 
And, but I think you have to feel comfortable to get there. I know as a black designer myself, I've been on teams where I just, I did not create the work that was in my mind or I, I wanted to sketch out or I was like, oh, gosh, this isn't going to be well received or oh, I don't know. I feel like people aren't going to get this or understand what I'm trying to do. Like I've had those doubts and I will just say it's kind of like this intersection of it because all designers have that. I feel regardless of background and, and experience, that's sort of, oh, is this good enough? Cause we, we're just, we're constantly like, oh, there's this competitive element, but there's also this, I'm going to be respected but I, but I don't want to like my stuff to feel like too out there. Do, do they see that I can design on this team within the system? You know, there's, there's all these layers to it. So when you add the element of identity and trying to be authentic, it just it amplifies anxiety. <laughs> I completely resonate. Yeah. And so I've tried to just pause. And when I go to the relationship design philosophy we have, I, I really love that and realized that was something I had been practicing before. I just didn't, obviously didn't have this framing of relationship design and those mindsets that exist within that. So the mindsets I'm referencing, compassion, intention, which I heard you mention earlier, reciprocity and courage. And so those, those four mindsets is what we call them. I think were super key, especially courageousness being able to just identify this is happening to me or I'm feeling this way or others are feeling this way and starting to speak about it and acknowledge it in a way that, you know, is vulnerable and, and could potentially leave you open to commentary and, and critique from others. But I was like, well, that's okay. They have a right to feel how they want to feel, but so do I. And then when I think of being intentional, kind of what I was referencing with the, like the Afrotech example, you're designing something and being very intentional about the story you're telling, the message you're putting out there. You know, reciprocity, obviously, it is a two-way street. I want to be uplifted. I want to uplift others. I want to elevate them. And I think those are like the basis of building that community. And then when you think of compassion, obviously, just understanding, like you said, that resonated with you, the comment I just made, just sharing, just saying something as simple as that with a peer or a mentee or a mentor, whoever it is, that's kind of how I started to move out of that space of feeling isolated and like I didn't have anyone to connect with to really starting to figure out what I wanted out of those connections, what authenticity meant to me, which I can share. But I think think everyone should ask themselves that question because it's not going to be the same for everyone. I may feel like I authentically represented myself and and did this awesome design. And yes, this is my identity and it speaks to who I am and it's addressing all of these problems and providing a solution. And someone else may look at that and say, actually, (laughs) this just doesn't, this has nothing. And, And so, and that's okay. So it's, it's about what that means to you. And then kind of finding that shared agreement in a team setting, you know, what are, you know, not, not to sound too workshoppy, but what are those team agreements? What are those things that resonate with us all, that we all value, that we all want to support, but that still allow us to be individuals and, and, and bring our full selves and, and, and share our work? And it's, it's not easy. It's, it's, very, it's very much work and it's very much an investment, but I think it's a worthy, an investment worthy of your time. I remember when a relationship design came out 
not too long ago. And I felt like there was many overlaps with the approach with design to be. So I was really excited to see it out in, in the wild. I'm curious for folks who are curious about relationship design and those four pillars that you mentioned, mm-hmm. what are things that you have done or maybe it's building upon those four pillars, whether it be your design process or collaborating with folks to really bring those to life? So I can give you a couple examples, actually. So for me, the community piece and finding those authentic connections, you actually mentioned one, Greg Bennett. Hi, Greg. (laughs) Hope you're listening. Um, (laughs) Greg's a wonderful person, as you know, but super talented designer and a conversation designer. I'm a visual and brand designer, although I I did do product and a lot of demo prototyping and, and those things. And I, but I am drawn to the storytelling. And so I have really beautiful conversations with Greg about conversation design. And, you know, he, he views it from a linguistic point of view and like what, what we're actually doing, we're having a conversation and the turn taking. And so I actually had to visualize that for an article he wrote that's on our Salesforce design medium. I didn't fully understand the nuance of conversation design, but through, through that connection, I was able to get a sense of, oh, he really values this. This is why. This is the opportunity it has. And, and I was able to translate that into something that had meaning for me, which was, how would I visualize that happening high level? You know, what's a, what's a conceptual way that that would connect to someone that wants to read more or that will pull them in? I'm borrowing a quote, Scott Larson, who's a creative leader at Salesforce, uh, grab them by the eyeballs, if you will. And so it's, <laughs> it's a very strong, it's an intense visual. It's an intense intense visual. I'm, I'm holding on to my eyeballs right now. <laughs> and so it's like, what pulls people in to want to engage with that content? And so I really let my creative approach come through. I used a lot of that bold color. I used a lot of that texture because I felt like it actually made sense in that context of getting people to understand when they see some conversation, like what you mean, like with Alexa or with, you know, like, I think people immediately go there. Like it has to be an AI. It has to be this, which is true as well. But I I was able to add more of a human element back into that. Because ultimately, it's about the turn taking that's happening and that exchange of information. And, you know, I will let Greg speak to the expertise of conversation design. But for me, creating that visual, it felt super authentic. And I felt like I captured the essence of what he was saying. And he was very pleased with it. And obviously, just as creative peers and designers, I, I always learn from Greg. And I hope vice versa. I'll let him tell you that. But I, I do, I just feel like I'm constantly learning. I'm constantly pushing myself because of being exposed to those new things. And he is so authentic and shows up in such an authentic way. And I just appreciate it. And I, I, the other example I wanted to share was, you know, we've done a lot of collaboration with the IGA. I'm actually working on a series that hopefully will be out there for folks to see. And I personally would like to find designers in the community, in the Bay Area that have been telling their own stories and, you know, elevating the work they've done. There's actually a group, uh, the Lesser Known Quarterly. They did beautiful work. They created their own magazine. 
And they just told, they literally went out and told stories of people in the Bay Area. And I just thought that was so amazing that they just decided to do that and uplift their own communities and experiences. They grew up here. They know it in a way that, and I learned so much about San Francisco and Oakland and East Bay that I just would not have known had I not encountered other designers doing that. And so it, I was like, I want, I want them actually and, and many others to come onto this platform to connect with AIGA and share that, like amplify that even more. So when I see people doing those things that are authentic to themselves, that gets me excited. I'm just like, oh yeah, I want to connect to them. Just as I'm here speaking with you today about my authentic, you know, retelling of, of my experiences in tech, I think there's something that people see when they know someone is being vulnerable. And we appreciate that because it takes so much strength. And that, that to me, those are two examples. And to get a little more tangible, I would just say the practice of finding out what is authentic to myself, I actually learned by doing ikigai. Ikigai is a Japanese term and practice. You sort of have these buckets and, and you all can like Google this and find, find a framework but you essentially sit and think about what you like to do, what you enjoy doing, what brings you joy, what you make money doing, what the world needs more of. And you sort of sit and map these all out and you list everything that fits into those buckets. And then you start to see where they overlap. And so what can I do that brings me joy, that makes me money, but also does give something back to the world? For me, that really grabbed me in terms of that is authentic. That's authentic to me. Like, this is what I should be doing. Now, how do I get there? <laughs> and that's that, you know, that's the next phase and the next challenge, but first figuring out what is super important and just speaks to me and fulfills me as a designer and as a person. Design is a big part of my identity, but I think also just knowing what you want out of your life and what design as this tool and this practice can allow for in, in that regard. I'm personally wanting to use design to create more inclusive spaces to help people navigate their spaces if they don't feel as included or as uh, welcomed or they don't belong. And so I've been looking at how to do more exercises. What does it mean to belong? What does belonging mean? How can we share examples of when we have all belonged? And, and design something around that, design an experience around that. So, and that's what I mean by that workshop element. There was actually something I was exposed to through a workshop through Google Rare, and it's called the Belonging Hour. And everyone, this is all virtual, but mm-hmm. sitting on a call, you pick a song and you tell, you share that song or portion of it and what, and you explain why that made you feel like you belong. It reminds you of a moment you belong the most. And it was so beautiful. And some of the stories and the expression that came out of that. So those are the things like someone has to design that workshop and that, and come up with that thinking, how to get people to engage. And I think music is a very powerful tool to get people to open up. And that's just one example. And so I'm exploring that personally, how to do more of those things with music and beyond. I think that's, I think those are really the first steps. They sound very simple, but it's like, well, we have to feel vulnerable enough with ourselves to know what we really want and to be able to share that and then translate that into our 
design career or our work. Thank you so much for it. You led into what I was going to ask you next. So we're going to switch gears a little to a couple of closing questions. I feel like we could talk for much, much longer. (laughs) So maybe we'll have a round two. Sure. But a lot of what we've spoken of today, so whether it be authenticity and inclusivity and everywhere in, in between, all falls into the bucket of emotional intelligence. And so I'm curious from your perspective, why it's important for designers to invest in their emotional intelligence. I think, well, I think everyone should invest in it, designer or not. Emotional intelligence for me has just allowed me to understand, speaking for myself, the difference of reacting to something as opposed to really sitting with it and processing. And what I mean by that is, you, you need to create something. Maybe it's a prototype or a mock-up or whatever it is. Sometimes I feel like as designers, we can be in this very reactionary space, depending on our teams or, or our, our charter and what we're trying to do, and then just the, the structure of everything around us. I think it's more powerful when going back to those mindsets, it's very intentional. If you have intention, in the outset of anything, I think you're less likely to just feel like you're reacting to something that someone's brought up and, oh, we just have to, we just have to do this. And, and, you know, I've seen in tech, especially sometimes we move very fast and don't really give ourselves time to understand a problem fully or understand an opportunity, I should say, before beginning to solution for it and, and concept things. I've seen people just jump right into concepting and really building, kind of skipping over so many steps of ideating and doing that research and then repeating and repeating. And I think that usually sets you up for a rushed result and you end up having to go back anyway. Why not spend that extra time really diving in and understanding? When you're emotionally intelligent, I think you just realize maybe being the first to solution or being being the quickest or just having something isn't of as much value that that researcher asking those questions or just pausing and, and understanding like okay this is this is the problem we're presented with but is that actually the problem maybe we need to do a deeper dive maybe we need to actually figure out i like to say the anatomy of this design or this problem what does it need to be what is it solving for and are we actually solving for other things or other other problems that are going to be uncovered? You know, it's it's really like as a if you're a UX researcher out there, like that, this is all like of course. But when you're in these spaces where you have to go super, super fast, and it's just like, oh, we just gotta get out, we just gotta get our, our website done and we have to refresh it. It's like, well, but did we do the testing? Did we understand what resonated most with our audience? Does this actually align to our brand values? How are we positioning this? I think it's really about taking the pause and doing that upfront work. And as a designer, one of my mentors gave me this. I really value language, and I know Greg would appreciate that, but valuing valuing language and valuing what is it we're actually saying? How are we saying it? Who are we saying it to? Who's Who do we expect engagement? Is this a give take? That can inform so much about design. To me, it's a conversation or a story or an experience. And without the right language and without the right just conceptual thinking in the beginning, I feel like you can easily get off track. And 
being very reactionary, at least in the tech space, is what I've seen happen, as opposed to pausing and realizing we do need to do this, but we should also take, take a moment to understand the why a bit more. Why are we doing this? Who is it helping? Is it helping anyone? One last question. Mm-hmm. If you could ask one thing of the audience mm-hmm. in relation to anything that we spoke about, maybe it's something that they can get started on and maybe something for them to read or listen to or some action that they can take once they press pause, what okay. could it be? I say stop and ask yourself, what does authenticity mean to you and how does that manifest? What would that look like in your life? The other part I would say is when you think about all the relationships in your life, are they giving you as much as you're giving to them? Meaning, is there reciprocity? Be vulnerable in those relationships. Can you, are they uplifting you and are you uplifting them? I like to ask all my friends, who are you mentoring? Because I think a lot of us and myself included, I was very much in the space of wanting mentorship, wanting community and realizing that you have to build that for yourself at times. And when you are building that, others that have a similar view or desire to connect, to uplift one another, will be drawn to you. I'm a very big believer in energy. And if the energy you're putting out there is what you will get back. And so I think if you want that community, if you want that authenticity, look at your circle, look at what you're doing, because there were a lot of other things that I was doing in my day-to-day that just didn't allow for that connection. It didn't allow for me to be authentic. And until I addressed those behaviors of figuring out what authenticity meant to me, of figuring out where I saw my career going, where I saw my contribution to the design profession going and just to the world, I was not able to connect with the people I wanted to connect with because I didn't even know myself well enough. So I would just say pause and Figure, figure out what's going to really fulfill you and then look for that connection. Beautiful. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Terrence. I so enjoyed our, our conversation and we dove into some very meaty, but also great approaches for folks to d- dive into. So I so, so, so appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you for having me. That wraps up another episode of Design to Be Conversation. Thanks so much for listening. If you're curious for more ways to invest in your EQ, to be a more empowered, educated, and effective designer, head over to designtobe.com. That is D-E-S-I-G-N-T-O-B-E.com. You can take our design process EQ quiz or sign up for a newsletter to receive the latest design to be community building, live offerings, and self-inquiry guidance directly to your inbox. If you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you may listen. Be sure to share this podcast with a fellow designer who's interested in investing in their EQ. And again, thanks so much for listening.